This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. I want to begin this morning by saying happy 4th of July to all of you, wherever you are on this 4th of July Sunday. You may be at the beach or at your cabin or in a campground or in the mountains or maybe on the road or simply at home, maybe in your backyard, wherever you are, I hope you are enjoying this 4th of July and especially the freedom to now be able to move around the country more than we did last year because of the pandemic. One of the things I have recently become aware of is how many people become citizens each year of the United States on the 4th of July. Every year on this day, literally thousands of people who come from all over the world become U.S. citizens. Apparently, they usually take their vows in historic places like George Washington's Mount Vernon, which is only a few miles from where my daughter lives in Alexandria, Virginia, and Independence National Historic Park in Philadelphia, and many other places of historic interest around the country. Of course, for some people, it was and still is difficult to become U.S. citizens. There was, and again still is, prejudice and mistrust of newcomers, especially newcomers who come from certain what are considered to be undesirable places. An example of this comes from my own family on my dad's side, who came to the United States from Ireland via Canada. We have visited Killaloe, the town in Ireland, from where my ancestors set sail sometime in the mid-19th century. I have discovered that the Scotch-Irish were not exactly welcomed with open arms when they first arrived in New England. I've been reading a book called Saints and Strangers, New England in British North America by author Joseph Conforti. And he says this about the Scotch-Irish. He says, Scotch-Irish immigrants encountered considerable hostility and resistance in, in 1720s Boston. When one boatload sailed into Boston Harbor in 1729, a mob blocked the immigrants' landing. Bostonians feared that, as impoverished strangers, the, com- the confounded Irish will eat us all up, which, of course, they did. <laughs> but in both the New Testament passages that were read for us this morning, the Apostle Paul reminds us that as Christians, We are not only citizens of one country, but two. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is defending himself before an angry mob in Jerusalem who wants to get rid of him. Interestingly enough, he has a conversation with a Roman centurion who is standing nearby about citizenship. And in this conversation, Paul reminds the centurion that he is a Roman citizen. The centurion, interestingly enough, responds that he too is a citizen, but he had to purchase his citizenship. But Paul says he was born a citizen, verse 28. Now, you may or may not know that in those days, not everyone who was born into the Roman Empire was automatically a Roman citizen. You generally had to earn or purchase your citizenship in some way. When the centurion and the tribune, another Roman official, 
discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen, they realized that they had an obligation to protect Paul from the mob that wanted to do away with him. But Paul also says in our readings, reading from Philippians 3.20, that he is not only a Roman citizen, but also a citizen of another place. Listen again to what he says, what he says to the Christians, the Christians in Philippi. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. It is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In both of these passages, Paul reminds us that we are citizens of a particular country. In his case, it was uh, of Rome, of the Roman Empire, and, uh, and in our case, the United States. And he says, we are citizens of heaven. Another way to say this is that we are citizens of an earthly kingdom, and we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We really have dual citizenship. My youngest son, Peter, who lives in Seattle, just recently became engaged to a woman named Britlin, who is a Canadian citizen. And as I understand and understand it, once they are married, Britlin plans to be a dual citizen of both Canada and the United States. One government source that I looked up said this about dual citizenship. It said, while the United States does not prevent dual citizenship, it does not encourage it either because of the potential for, and listen to this, conflict and being object to the laws, subject to the laws of more than one nation. For dual citizens, it goes on to say, the country of residence is generally considered to have the greater claim on allegiance, end of quote. Was it, what does it mean for us to be citizens of both the United States and God's kingdom? As dual citizens, which country or which kingdom has the greater claim of allegiance on us? Well, as you can imagine, this is a topic that has been debated and discussed for a very long time. And there is much that we could say about it. But it seems to me that the 4th of July falling on a Sunday this year gives us an opportunity to reflect together very briefly on somewhat something of what it means to be a dual, to be dual citizens and especially what God requires of us as dual citizens. The brief passage that was read from Micah 6, verse 8, a passage that is most likely familiar to most of us, gives us, I believe, a glimpse into what it means to be both a good citizen of the United States and a good citizen of heaven. As you probably know, this verse of scripture from Micah is frequently found on t-shirts and banners and signs. It is used by a lot of people today for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different causes. And I, I kind of hesitate to use it because you tend to see it everywhere. But I think the reason why we see it everywhere is because it is such a great summary, kind of like John 3.16, of what God does indeed require of us. You may remember that Micah was a prophet to the leaders of both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel between 750 and about 686 BC. He was actually a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Micah prophesied to the people of Israel and Judah during a time of much strife and division and corruption, frankly, a time 
maybe not that much unlike our own. Let's hear again what Micah says. He says this, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. He, he, he translates it this way. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. But take God seriously. End of quote. Micah emphasizes three things in this passage that help us think about what it means to be good dual citizens. And I want to look at those briefly right now. First of all, Micah reminds us that what God is looking for us for, for in us as dual citizens, and especially as men and women of faith, is that we do justice, or as Peterson translates it, do what is fair and just to our neighbor. Now, as you know, justice is a huge topic. And we hear a lot about it today, and we don't have time this morning to really do it justice. But I think at the very least, Micah is exhorting us, maybe reminding us that God expects us to do what is right and fair, not only for ourselves, but also for those around us. When I think of do justice, I can't help but think of the experience Debbie and I had at what is called the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. I don't know if any of you have been to the Legacy Museum. We just happened to be in uh, Montgomery visiting our daughter uh, two or three years ago and her family when we heard about this new museum in Montgomery that had just, just opened. And in a nutshell, the Legacy Museum describes the history of slavery and racism in the United States. Uh, interestingly enough, the museum is sponsored by the Equal Justice Initiative which was founded by Brian Stevenson, or at least he was part of that, who you may recall was one of the speakers at our George Whitfield commemoration last fall. Not only does the museum highlight the history of racism and segregation in our country, but also the horrific racial lynchings that happened all over the South and as far west as Colorado, I believe, it went quite, quite far west. And according to the website, and I quote, more than 4,400 African men, women, and children were either hanged, burned alive, shot, drowned, and beaten to death by white mobs between 1877 and 1950, end of quote. I mention this museum because it was so eye-opening and so convicting in, in a non-condemning kind of way it was so convicting and eye-opening of the tremendous injustice that was perpetrated on African-Americans for such a long period of time. And of course, as we know, at some level, that injustice is still happening today. I have to say that Tippy and I were so moved by this museum that we wanted to go up to the first African-American person we saw at the museum and hug them and apologize to them for what happened. Uh, it was so moving to us. 
And while we were at the museum, we couldn't help but think of this passage from Micah, where Micah says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And I must admit, sadly, that it took that experience at that museum to really get me thinking about what does it mean to do justice? And I'm still just learning. Before that time, I was aware of at some level of the great injustices, injustices that happened in those days and are still happening, but I did not think much about it or do much about it. And of course, there are many places today in our communities and in our world where, where there is injustice of various kinds. And Micah says that one of the things the Lord requires us to do is to do what we can, again, as we are able, with God's help, to recognize injustice wherever we find it and respond to it as we are able in some way. And by doing this, we are being good citizens of the United States and we are also being good citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Debbie and I read in the book of Proverbs just the other day, one of the Proverbs that spoke to this, this is Proverbs 21, 15, and it goes this way. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but dismay to evildoers. On this 4th of July, how might you more effectively in your life live Live your life and your relationships and in your community by doing justice as a part of your dual citizenship. Secondly, Micah reminds us that what God is looking for in us as dual citizens, and especially as men and women of faith, is that we not only do justice, but we also love kindness. The NIV translates this to love mercy. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that as Americans, we are falling short in being kind to one another and showing mercy to one another, especially in our social media and in our politics. We read and hear all the time of people bullying one another and accusing one another and treating each other in demeaning and insensitive ways. I must admit, there are times when I do not feel very kind towards others, myself, especially, uh, especially with those who differ from me in their political views or in their social norms. But be that as it may, Micah reminds us that we need to love kindness. I ran across an article in Psychology Today recently about the importance of kindness. The author, Karen Hall, says this. She says, being kind can strengthen our relationships and our sense of satisfaction in life. I think we all sort of intuitively know that. But she defines kindness in this way. She says, kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Affection, gentleness, warmth, genuineness, warmth, concern, and care are words that are associated, she says, with kindness. And then she finishes by saying this, what kindness while kindness has a connotation of meaning someone is naive or weak, that is not the case. Being kind often requires courage and strength. And I think probably all of us have experienced that at some point. Hall suggests that we need to be more kind, not only to others, but also to ourselves. There was an article in Time magazine just this past week 
that emphasize the importance of being kind. Uh, Greg Bain and Ryan Radetzky, the writers of the article, suggest that Fred Rogers from the long running PBS show, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, is a good role model for us in, in terms of showing kindness to others. Many people don't know that um, Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister and as well as the host of Mr. Rogers's Rogers Neighborhood. And he considered his long running children's show his ministry. And his goal, as you probably know, was to spread love and kindness to others and to help others become more kind to one another. In the time my article, the authors say this, they write this, they say, after a year marked by misery and loss and alienation and despair, we're calling for a new national holiday, one designed to bring more Mr. Rogers into our civic lives. I just love that. Let's bring more Mr. Rogers into our civic lives. And they quote Fred Rogers as one time saying this, he said, imagine what our real neighborhoods would be like if each of us offered as a matter of course, just one kind word to another person. And of course, Fred Rogers believed that it was not just kind words, but kind actions that really make the difference in our real neighborhoods. Again, in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 21, the writer says this, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And then later on in that same chapter, we read, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. When you think about it, really all of us are needy. The citizens of the United States and citizens of heaven, we need more kindness, more mercy, more compassion in our conversations and in our families and in our social media, in our civic life and in our political discourse. I don't think I'm telling, me, telling you anything you don't realize and already know as well. On this 4th of July, how might you more effectively show kindness and greater mercy in your life and in your relationships and in your community as part of your dual citizenship? I know that's a question I'm asking myself and hopefully a question you will ask yourself as well. Third and finally, Micah reminds us that as dual citizens, what God is looking for in us, especially as men and women of faith, is not only that we do justice and love kindness, but also that we walk humbly with God. Webster's Dictionary defines the word humble as not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. Seems to me in recent months, we have witnessed some less than humble walking, less than humble behavior in our society and in our politics from people who call themselves Christians. In all candor, I must say that I was distressed and saddened, as so many people were, on January 6th, when I saw that some of the people storming the Capitol were carrying Bibles and Christian flags and, ma and massive banners saying things like, Jesus 2020. 
And as I saw, as I saw that, I thought to myself, what kind of witness is that? What kind of Christianity is that? Especially to people who, who don't know what Christians, who they really are, what they stand for. One reporter, Jack Jenkins, reported that there were two forms of Christian faith on display on January 6. One was the Christian group calling themselves God's warriors who were there to flex their muscles and quote, to make the church roar, unquote. But there were also people like Representative Lisa Rochester. I'm not even sure where she, what area she represents, what place. But she, who, she went, uh, when the mob broke into the house chambers, she helped lead her fellow lawmakers in prayer as they were huddled on the balcony. And as the gunshots rang out, a CBS News video caught Representative Rochester praying for Jesus. And this were her words. She said, praying for Jesus to protect members of Congress and to bring peace in the land, peace in the country, peace in this world. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, starting with verse three, really verses three through eight. In those verses, the apostle Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interests, Paul says, but to the interests of others. In that passage, he goes on to describe how Jesus emptied himself, took the form of a servant and humbled himself for the sake of the cross, for our sake. And he's humbled himself on the cross for our sake. If Jesus was willing to, in humility, give his life on the cross for us so that we might have life, and have it abundantly. How much more should we be humble? Should we walk humbly with God and with one another? The truth is we often get in trouble when we too closely merge our Christian identity with our national identity. While we are dual citizens of two kingdoms and we love both kingdoms, our highest allegiance is always to Jesus and to his kingdom values his kingdom agenda, his kingdom ethics of love and patience and forgiveness and reconciliation and honesty and integrity and humility and peace. All these things that we learned about and discussed in our Sermon on the Mount series uh, just recently that we've just completed. One of the ways that we demonstrate that higher allegiance, those kingdom values, Micah reminds us, is to practice justice and to demonstrate kindness and to walk with humility before God. On this 4th of July, how might you more effectively walk humbly with God in your life and in your community and in your relationships as part of your dual citizenship? Again, questions that I'm asking myself as well on this 4th of July. As we have said so many times, we cannot do these things on our own strength or our own power, but only as we allow Jesus' spirit to work in and through us. Let's bow briefly for prayer. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this 4th of July. We thank you for family and friends. Wherever we are, we are grateful that we can gather to together in freedom to celebrate the many gifts and the many freedoms that we do have. 
And we pray that as we live out this day and this week and this summer in our lives, that you help us to think how we might be more just and more kind and more merciful and more loving and more humble and more a, a, a positive witness for you in our world that is so desperate and hungry for good news. We pray you'd help us to be people of good news in all we say and do. And we know that we cannot do this on our own power and strength, but we need your power through your spirit in us. So we pray for that today. And we, and we ask all these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.